This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 1st, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Holistic Veterinary House Calls and the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world. Welcome to the monthly driving episode. We do this episode on the first uh, Thursday of every month. And of course, it's April Fool's Day. But Jamie has specifically forbid us from doing any April Fool's pranks on this show. Uh, Why? Well, she worked in mainstream radio for 10 years where they did a lot of April Fool's pranks and she hated them. And I kind of do too when I hear them on the radio. So, uh, So we will not be punking you at all today. Of course, me saying that could be punking them, right? So. I guess. <laughs> Could be reverse psychology there. Reverse psychology. That's right, Glenn. <laughs> Good foreshadowing. We're going to hear that later on in the show. Uh, <laughs> today, we have some driving fun in the Carolinas. Katie Reinhardt's going to join us from the Aiken Driving Club to preview the inaugural pleasure show down there. So many pleasure shows biting the dust. It's good to see one starting up. Uh, plus, uh, we have the ADS on to talk about a uh, course they are doing right now about course design. And also, Kitty's joining us with, what's she talking about, Kitty Kedwell? She's continuing her series on driving pairs. So we're going to get a little more in-depth about how they work together and uh, the, the psychology of turning them Got it. versus singles. And Kathleen's going to be here, joined by author Amy Bracey, who's talking about her new book, The A to Z of Carriages. So we got a lot going on. But yeah. first, we always start with a product highlight and a product feature. And I, does this tie into what you're doing in your traditional Chinese medicine segment later on? Yes, okay. it does. So what's your product feature? Uh, I've talked about this before when we talk about our sport horses. It's uh, My product today is Qi Performance Herbal Formula. And, you know, spring is here. We're getting back into showing and everything. And also in Florida, we're lucky we don't have like a lot of mud and rain and stuff. But in the rest of the country, you have very, uh, you know, variable footing. Tennessee right now is flooded out. (laughs) Mud, ice. So you can get a lot of like minor aches and pains. And cheap performance is a great formula that helps with that. Also, um uh, you know, you have yin horses and yang horses and yin is like the introverts, right? And yang are the extroverts, right? So yang horses are like race horses and event horses and hackney ponies, hackney ponies. (laughs) Yin horses tend to be like earths, which are kind of lazy metals, which are, they know their job, but they're not always like brilliant. They're like, they'll work, but you know, they might be a little dull and waters are kind of scared. So those introvert kind of horses, uh, if they have a little, they're not the kind of like outgoing horse that's going to push through the pain and, and go, 
right? They're the ones that when they get tired, they just want to stop or they don't want to work anymore. So chi performance is a great herbal formula for that because it tonifies their chi and it also um, helps relieve stagnation. So your chi is like your energy level and stagnation is pain. It also has, um, so it has, we talk about these herbs all the time. Angelica Dangwe is to help with pain. And then Dang Shen is like, we call that the poor man's ginseng because uh, ginseng is a very expensive herb. And of course, you've heard about people taking ginseng for energy. But in animals, we use a, a root that's similar, has similar properties, but it's a little cheaper. It's called condenopsis. Then it also has some bee pollen and it has a Chinese hawthorn berry. So that helps the bee pollen and the hawthorn berry helps stimulate the appetite and it also um, gives them more energy. So it, that's a great choice for if you have a, a introverted horse like earth and metal or water getting back into into their uh, s- spring routine but need a little help. This is not a good choice for your young horses, your extroverted horses. Because fire and wood horses can get kind of hot on this formula. It can make them too bold. So this is, um, and you know, sometimes it's funny because the the people that are the gunners and the with horses that are the gunners always want cheap performance because of the name, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, I need cheap performance. And I'm like, no, you don't need cheap performance. <laughs> I will not be this buying this for my pony, me. that's for sure. No, like, but, but if you were like, so you're getting ready for a CDE, you're like, I need this. It'll make them go faster. It, well, it, it might make them just totally crazy. So that's why you should, you know, talk to your veterinarian and think about your horse before you go off on just getting your ultra high energy supplements. But for lazy horses, it's very good choice. Very good. And where do they find it? You can find this at drwendying.com. And I also have a blog post about this with more detail. So if you go to the website and you search Chi Performance, the blog post will come up. And Chi is QI. QI, yeah. Well, Kathleen is now back from the Carriage Association of America, and this month we are talking about books, specifically books about automobiles. I mean carriages. Uh, We're talking about carriages today. We are, and I apologize in advance for my voice. I'm a little um, congested, which means it's spring, which the next thing that happens is that that means that the Kentucky Horse Park is now back open. Um, And so if you're on the grounds visiting the Kentucky Horse Park, Come on over and see us. Um, we do have the bookstore here. And, uh, of course, the um, Kentucky Horse Park also has a small book area as well. And they have a library in the um, basement of the International Museum of the Horse, which most people don't know about. So if you're looking for a book, you can check there, too. And it is the uh, beginning of April. It's going to be very weird for you that, that we have the five-star, we have the Land Rover running, and nobody's going to be there to visit you. I know we're so sad not to see everybody. Um, on the, on the plus side, I'll be able to park in my normal spot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> on the negative side, you won't be able to walk over and get food and shop. I know. I, well, my credit card is happy. I keep trying to look at that. <laughs> it is going to be sad that we won't be there to see you this time. I know. I know. And we won't be able to go on a course walk and all that fun stuff, yep. but oh, well. we will be out and about soon enough. But, um, so if you're stuck at home and you need something to do, you might be, or you're coming up on a holiday, we've got books here that um, are good for 
you know, Easter baskets, Father's Day, etc. Um, there are a few books that you might want to know about. Uh, Wendy, I, do you have a favorite book that you usually recommend for somebody that's getting started? Um, you know, I really love, uh, I, I, I usually get questions about tandem, how to start with tandem because, you know, I, I love doing tandem and, um, there's a book called driving tandem. I'm going blank on the author's name, but that's like one of my favorite books because it really helps show your hand position on the reins. It's like a how to manual. Absolutely. Um, that one is hard to find, but you can find used copies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a it is a lovely book. They do have the reins as different colors, which mm-hmm. helps tremendously. Yeah. Um, if you're just getting started, you might want to look at the Essential Guide to Carious Driving by Cuffy. That's a popular one. And if you're looking for something that's small that might like fit into like let's say an Easter basket, their um, Threshold Picture Guides has a, a series on driving. Uh, they have books like Driving Do's and Don'ts. Those run right in that $12, $13 range, so they're great for Easter baskets, that type of thing. If you're looking for something a little bit more complex, um, Tom Ryder put out a book uh, quite a long time ago, On the Box Seat. And oh, that's a great one. Yeah. That really is the Bible. And it has been revised. This is the fifth edition. It is now um, a full-size, like a eight-and-a-half by 11 size book. And I specifically, when I did the layout, made it so that if you had to put it out flat, you can be able to read it without getting into the corners. And uh, so that is now available and back in print. So if you're looking for something like that, that's available. Um, And it has everything in there, a little bit of everything from getting started with a single all the way up to three abreast and fours, a little bit of tandem lot on livery, some information on what type of vehicles go with what horses, that type of thing. Um, we also have a cu- one that's, you know, if you're looking for something that may be a Father's Day gift, there's shotguns and stagecoaches. The Brave Men Who oh. Rode for Wells Fargo in the Wild West. We had a speaker last year that talked to us about the guns um, that they used to, to protect Wells Fargo. Uh, vehicles and it was incredibly interesting so i found this john and i think his last name is pronounced bosnick and he is a new york times bestseller and so if you're looking for that type of a book it's out there twenty dollars in paperback uh really interesting read not specifically great for getting started and driving but if you have somebody that's helping you out and you want to give them a gift that's a good one there are um, the Great Blue Army Wagon is available by Thomas Lindmere, and that's a popular one on um, Civil War books um, and vehicles. We also have a new um, book out that actually comes from Flor- to us from Florida. It's called Harnessing Your Power to Drive Forward, a U- Unique Approach to Team Building. It's about driving pairs and using that as a team building approach. And so you harness together, you talk about bits, being able to communicate and that type of thing. And that's by Pam Umbridge and Cheryl Bess. Oh, wow. That sounds yeah. great. And so hopefully, you know, I don't know that that one's for everybody, but it does talk a lot about communication and stability and, and things that you not only need as a team, but you need when you're driving. <laughs> so that's great. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know, the grand dame of driving, Gloria Austin, has been producing a lot of books lately. And the last few years, unfortunately, this um, last month, she did lose uh, a gentleman that helped her quite a bit, Jeffrey Batchelt. Um, he unfortunately passed away, and we think of him often as we look at our graphics in these books. But she is still producing books. Um, she just put out a new one called Coaches and Coaching Through the Ages, um, which runs about $20. And uh, she has quite a few little things in here. And one of the best things about it is she has a um, couple of pages dedicated to things that didn't work out. And uh, <laughs> when you <laughs> look at them, you're I like, like that. Mm, I can understand <laughs> why that didn't work out. Um, they're talking about the um, the Swedish prince that had tried to use this vehicle and it just didn't work. <laughs> and there was one that was, um, he tried to power a, a coach by kite using a kite. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds dangerous. As you can imagine, that one didn't really fly. Um, <laughs> And I made a pun without even meaning to. I was to. just, yeah, I was just <laughs> <gonna> <laughs> <on it. laughs> um, And another new book that is out is The A to Z of Carriages by Amy Bracey. And we are very fortunate to have joining us all the way from the UK, Amy Bracey. So welcome, Amy. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So how long did it take you to complete this book? Uh, well, that, that's kind of a question of two halves, to be honest. Um, in terms of actually writing it, the lockdowns have been really, really good. I've actually had time to sit down and, and put it together. But the first sort of concept for the book really came into my head about 15 years ago now. So it's been going it's been going a little while, but it was about probably five or six years ago that I thought, oh, we have enough material now, so start putting it together. But the actual writing and, and um, compiling the book itself has really happened over the last few years. I have to say that makes me feel much better. I've been working on this sleigh book for, I don't know, three, four, well, almost <laughs> five years now. <laughs> so I mean, you're, you're probably like myself. You're just so busy doing lots of other stuff. You don't really get lumps of time together, you know, to write. You have to have full days um, at a time. And I, I just don't get get that time together so really um the last sort of couple of years has been been you know really useful and productive in my household well that's fantastic i do yeah. think that that's one side i hate to say benefit but the side effect of covid is that we've had time to finish some of these projects that have been out there for a while and we keep saying exactly. that we're going to get to them Yes, exactly. And, it, and it's just a time to, you know, with any sort of research, it just takes time. You know, sometimes you, you just need three or four hours on one particular document. And um, just to have that time shut in your house is, has been really quite useful. So, yes, it's, it's been, been quite good for me anyway. So yeah. this book is roughly 264 pages of actual carriages. That's and right. there's two carriages for pages. So that's that's a lot of carriages and a yeah, lot of research. It's 376 carriage types, to be exact. Yes. Ah, <laughs> Who would have thought there would be that many to begin with? Holy crap. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I, I've, I've missed them out as well, actually, because um, people keep sending me, oh, have you found this one? Have you found this one? So I think there's already halfway towards volume two. So, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I do have to. Uh, so there's a couple of ones that we specifically want to talk about. Let's talk okay. about the deer cart first. Yeah. Um, Probably about two years ago on this program, we talked about German hunting carts. 
And mm-hmm. so this deer cart is actually how they would have brought the deer to the hunting area. Mm. Yeah, part of that. Yes, I mean it. It, um, it may well have been used for that for 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 the hunt to, to hunt the deer, but it was also. I mean, in England, in England, it was mostly used for the transportation of stock. So, um, if there was um, to, for healthy breeding, you have to sort of change your, your stock around. So it it was more commonly used um, to to take animals from one place to another to introduce them to another herd, basically. But yes, it was also used for to to release a deer for hunting purposes. Um, do you by chance have your book in front of you? I do. It's right here. Yep. Could you read the the poem on the bottom of page <laughs> seventy nine? It's quite fun, isn't it? Yes. Um, so a chap called um, Surtis wrote this poem about um, about hunting and he includes a little paragraph um, directly about the deer cart. And it goes in shape like half a hearse, though not for corpses in the least. For this contained the deer alive and not the deer deceased. <laughs> and so it's spelled D-E-E-R is alive. And then the bottom is D-E-A-R. Ah, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's you know it's an interesting. It gives you an idea though, doesn't it? When he they say it's like shaped like half of a hearse, you could automatically kind of know what it looks like. Exactly. And, yes. Yeah. I mean, they did vary a little bit, but they were essentially a box on two or four wheels. Yes. So so um, I'm sure um, they they may well have come from the same the same builders. <laughs> now I have to ask you on page two sixty. There's this Yarmouth troll cart. Oh Which, yeah, it's not the same type of troll that we encounter online. <laughs> no, no. But I had never seen this cart before. What what is the um, appeal of this cart? I guess um, they're pretty rare, to be honest. And I, I I first came across them when I used to work in um, in Norwich, and I had some dealings with the um, the museum in Yarmouth. Um, they are specific to the town of Yarmouth and if you've never been to Yarmouth then you probably would never have heard from them so they were developed really really quite early they're one of the the longest um, used carriages so they, they date right back to Henry VIII's time to the 16th century and um, they were used in the very narrow streets of Yarmouth if you go there the, the, the town is still exactly the same really really tiny streets as narrow as four feet wide um, so in order to get the kind of fresh produce from the from the the, the beaches that you know the fish that have been been fished um they would actually put them on these carts and take them up and down out the, the narrow, narrow alleys um so that was how they originated but they were also used as a private vehicle to take you know people that could afford to hire them um around the streets but they had to be very specific in their measurements so um they had to be a certain i think it was three feet maximum width of three feet six inches which isn't very wide at all really um and their their wheels were actually placed under the body of the vehicle so they d- the wheels didn't stick out on the outside to make them to give it more more seat space and make them even narrow quite a curious vehicle i think there's only one in existence now they're quite rare as well wow mm. that's it's quite interesting to see some of these vehicles and of course uh, the vehicles that we see here in the u.s do differ somewhat from the uk although at the end of the day all of these carriage makers went to the expos and everything and and shared ideas, but is there one particular cart in here or, or carriage that um, really struck you as interesting? Um, well, there, there were quite a few. I mean, to be honest, I, I was really interested in the ones where I the, I thought I knew the history or I thought I knew what they were, and then through research discovered something completely different. So, for instance, the Erich cart um, 
is a carriage which is, you know, in all books so far has been published as being a particular carriage which is on display at Arlington Court in Devon. And um, that was an interesting one because um, through research, we, we, there was always this quote attached to it that had been given by the, the, ch the chap, a coach builder called George Smith. And it turns out that he was the coach builder of the Erridge cart. And once you found the patent of his vehicle and an advertisement for his vehicle, you realise it was a completely different vehicle to the one that we believe was an Erridge cart. So... Um, so we've kind of rewritten that history. So therefore, the cart that's in Arlington Court hasn't got a title at the moment. I need to find out what it is. And uh, we now need to, we've had to actually rewritten the history of what we think was the Erich cart. So that was quite, quite interesting. Um, and then there were funny little stories that came up from, um, I, I wrote, I read a lot of travel writings and a lot of diaries from the 18th and 19th century because you get the best little stories from carriages from those eras. And um, I particularly loved the one um, to do with the high perch phaeton. And um, uh, Lord Barrymore was um, driving through a, a Berkshire village at midnight with his, his friend having been um, on the town. And he took great delight in, in flicking his whip either side of, the, of this huge phaeton. And it was so large that he could reach the windows on either side and he would crack the panes of glass. <laughs> and, <laughs> so he was quite a reckless driver and he was also uh, rather rather careless too because sadly he um, he um, managed to shot himself with his own gun whilst escorting prisoners, uh, French prisoners of war um, with along, alongside his gig. So an interesting <laughs> character, but <laughs> these, these are really funny little stories. Well, not so funny. Karma, karma, karma. Which, <laughs> which somehow bring bring the carriages to life and that's what i absolutely loved loved about doing the research for the book is <laughs> it's a different side of the carriage we're not just looking at it as an object we're actually bringing its story to life and and that just fascinates me so can you tell us where um an interested party could pick up a copy of your book yeah, yeah, I can. It's, it's available directly from me. I haven't gone. It's quite a small print run um, and it's pri it's privately funded. So it's di available directly from me. If you have a look at the um, the Carriage Foundation's website, that's uh, thecarriagefoundation.org.uk. The, uh, the details of how to order it are on on there. Um, so um, or you can contact me via email. Again, my email address is on that website. And, and I'll be more than happy to, to you know advise on on how to go about getting a copy. And Glenn will include a, uh, a link in the uh, show notes so that if you didn't catch that, you can get it. But Amy works for the Carriage Foundation in England, and there's kind of a sister program to the CAA. They do a lot of research for museums and private owners and very much documenting uh, the vehicles that are in museums uh, over there and, and offering advice and things like that on conservation and uh, even pricing, I think, uh, on sales. Do you know mm -hmm. what that means, yep. Wendy? You know what that means? That means we have two of the biggest carriage geeks in the world on the, on the <laughs> call right. right now today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I think I take the blame for that one. Um, <laughs> Well, we're, uh, we're running out of time. Uh, where can people f give that address again so that people can find the book? I think it's fascinating. So it's thecarriagefoundation.org.uk. Okay, very good. And, and, the, and the CAA, do you, are, do you have an article on the CAA on the blog there about the different books you've talked about today? Or can you send them to me so I can put them in the show notes? I sure will. Okay, that'd be um, great. And just so that you know, uh, the CAA will be 
uh, welcoming Amy for a Friday night webinar on July 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And so she'll be joining us uh, for that. You can find the information on that on caaonline.com or at, uh, on Facebook at Carriage Association of America. Very good. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. In three, two, one. Well, our next guest is Katie Reinhardt. She's from Aiken, South Carolina. And their driving club, the Aiken Driving Club, is having their first uh, pleasure driving show. So welcome, Katie. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Wendy and Glenn. Nice talking to you. You know, it's so uh, great that you guys are putting on a show, uh, a pleasure driving show, because we've lost so many pleasure driving shows in the last couple of years. And finally, we have a new one. So tell us all about your show. Well, uh, we know it's going to be small because of all the things going on, but we hope everybody has a good time. And that was our big goal. And we found a wonderful facility called Highfield Equestrian Center. And they have just been bent over backwards to make us feel welcome. And Mm -hmm. we are excited. Permanent stalls, nice facility, um, great place to show anywhere, but uh, especially for a pleasure show. So... um it, are the rings uh, going to be grass or or um, footing, or what's the ring? What are the rings like? Well, the ring is actually a grass, and so is our pleasure drive. It's all grass, and even our cones are grass. And he, the gentleman, Rich, he's even building us our own ring because it's actually a jumping place mostly, mm-hmm. and so. Um, but he's building us our own ring for the weekend, so you couldn't ask oh, for anything great. better than that, I know. And then there's a lot of room for carriages to get around in, yeah. um, and just a wonderful facility. And so um, it's going to be April 17th and 18th, and um, where is it in downtown Aiken? Are you right in the in the hub of it all, or where? Oh, I wish. That would be fun to go down South Boundary, but we're not. We're just on the edge, kind of on the outside outskirts of Aiken, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, um, it's very easy to get to, and all the directions are on um, the uh, Highfield Equestrian Center website. So the directions are easy to get to off oh, 20 great. or wherever you're coming from. Yep. And are, uh, I mean, it's, it's surprising. I even have to ask this question, but are spectators allowed? Well, that's the rub here. Um, South Carolina is opening, opening, and you can have 250 people um, mm-hmm. indoors. So we aren't advertising that we can have, we are not advertising that we can have visitors, but right. we would certainly not probably turn anybody away, you know? Right. Because you're outside, you know, and people are going to be walking yes. around far apart. And this is one of the really important things I think about pleasure shows is that there are going to be all kinds of antique carriages, all different kinds of carriages. So people that might be interested in driving, but don't know where to start, they can come to a pleasure show and see every different kind of vehicle. Correct. And not only that, but you have such a variety. You have cones, uh, Mm -hmm. which are, you know, 10 sets of cones. It's not a big amount to have to remember. It's easy. It's um, you're individually in the ring. You're not doing it with a bunch of people there. We have a very nice area that we can do our uh, country drive, which is a pace, which means you have to be right on the money or you get penalized being Mm -hmm. over or under. 
So, um, and then the big thing too is volunteers and we have the best club that has volunteers. I mean, anywhere, um, people, uh, you know, I have too many. I mean, I, I don't need any more. I, you know, <laughs> I've, I've asked all my good friends and, and right. they've, they've been very gracious. Uh, Wendy, we have to cancel our trip. We're not She doesn't want us to come up. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. I have Nikki Bowen who's telling me, please get Wendy to come and visit. <laughs> I know. I have to come because it's great that Mickey's down there at Tracy Hicken's place because those are like my girls. Yes, I know. She's. <laughs> She's on our committee, so we have to make a plug. She's moved down here from Pennsylvania, so she's she's one of our neighbors. Yeah. I have a question about one of the classes you have. So sure. you have junior driver reverse psychology. What's reverse psychology? <laughs> well, it's one of my favorite classes because uh, you do have to think. Um, you, you go one through ten. But before you go through the start finish, you turn around and go ten, nine, eight, seven, six, oh, five, four, three, Oh, I'd be lost. Three, Forget two, that. One. I would be then, gone. I could. Then. I would. I don't have use of my fingers. I'm driving the horse. I would be a mess. <laughs> and and the right glove on the right hand doesn't work anymore because yeah, you're going right. the other direction. That's so, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's a it's a fun class and it does it makes people think. So there you go. <laughs> and um, this is what's great about pleasure shows, Glenn. It's like there's something for everyone because like maybe you're not the, you don't have the fanciest stuff, right? But if you're good right. at cones, it can all like, you know, even out. So the, all the divisions out. are, yeah, the divisions are judged on five different classes. So some are based on your driving, some are based on your equipment and some are based on your, your time in the cones. And then you said you also have a pleasure drive right a pleasure that's a, pace uh-huh yep and so tell us a little bit about that that's part of the division score yes it is we have six um things in the division score we have working rangemanship and uh the turnout which is all inside the ring and judged mm-hmm. by the judge and then then we have timed obstacles which is just one through ten um, on the cones, and then the reverse psychology, which we just talked about, and yeah. then the pleasure drive pace, which will be about 1.3 kilometers. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't actually measured it on the ground yet, but it'll be about that. And it's basically a little drive on grass out in the out in the field and back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nothing terribly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are two places in a pleasure show that you do need a spares kit. Now it doesn't have to be a fancy spares kit. Don't go out and spend $200. Um, you know, just get what's in the, the, um, on this rules and then put Mm -hmm. them in a little bag and stick them in your, in your glove box. But, um, there are two places that you do have to have spares. And one is the pace or the pleasure drive. And then also in your turnout, they may ask you if you have a spares kit. So those are required in any pleasure show. Right. And um, you also have a utility division, which is great. So tell us a little bit about the utility division. Well, the utility is kind of the catch-all and kind of new to pleasure shows, which means you don't have to have the antique carriage. You don't have to have the big fancy rig. Um, but it is usually considered to be your marathon carriage and just clean it up, make your harness clean, make you clean. Mm-hmm. And there you go. See, Glenn, you could go, you could take your little cart and scooter and go. And I have know a great I wouldn't time. have to do it. I wouldn't even have to wash the cart. Apparently I'd be fine. <laughs> no, you have to clean your car. Oh, I have to clean it. Oh, 
I'm not going. Well, you don't have to, but you probably would not win. With, I mean, Scooter might win, but you would not win, okay? <laughs> I got a request. You have the ladies to drive, and you have the gentlemen to drive, and then you also have the carriage dog. I think this would be fun if the dogs actually drove. I think that would be uh, fun. That, that would not be fun. That <laughs> would not be fun. That would not All right, be you fun. guys are boring. Um, <laughs> All right, be that way. All right, I have, I have one more question for you, Katie. Um, now, you guys down in Aiken have a very active uh, VSE uh, group. So oh, yeah. I see you have your own VSE division, so they don't have to compete with the ponies. I think that's going to be your biggest division. What do you think? I think it might be. Well, our VSEs are very strong down here, and they're adorable, too. I have a mm-hmm. friend, Kim Allen, who lets me borrow fudgy once in a while, but uh-huh. um, it is fun. Uh, those VSEs are just are just too much fun. I, I can't say enough about them, and I, I think it will be a big class. I think so, too. Because I think I think also like the, one of the reasons I asked you about the ring is that that's always something people think about when they drive small ponies or VSEs. If it's really if it's the sand ring, sometimes it's a little heavy with our antique carts. So it's great that it's on grass, and um, it sounds like it's going to be a fun show. Right, and if they don't have a cut under, you know, some of those antique vehicles don't have a cut under. Mm-hmm. And you can explain that to Glenn later, what it kind of... I know <laughs> but, what that but is. It is. Oh, okay. But it is hard <laughs> to turn some of those big things in, in the, in the uh, uh, ring. And, of course, we come from near Villa Louis, which is now one of the premier shows because we lost Walnut Hill. And uh, VSE is always a big class up there, too. I learned from the best from Mike Ryder. <laughs> Yeah, that is a wonderful show. Um, so tell us again uh, what uh, what the date is and how they can find you. Okay, well, the dates are April 17th and 18th, and we're at the Highfields Equestrian Center. Um, the closing date is actually um, April 10th, so get your entries in. Mm-hmm. And we would love to have you. We're going to, I think the classes are going to start about 9 o'clock each day, so you don't even have to get up that early. Mm-hmm. And there you go. We're going to have, and I have the best volunteers and you will see some beautiful carriages. All right. And they can find all the entry forms and everything at the AikenDrivingClub.com, right? Correct. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a fun show. And I think you're going to have many, many years of, uh, of, of good sport. Oh, thank you so much. And you guys are awesome to do this. I enjoy your show so much. Oh, thanks for listening. Now we have the executive director of the American Driving Society with us, and that's Abby Trexler. Hi, Abby. Hi, how are you two today? Good. You you guys are in full swing. Shows have been happening down here in Ocala, and things are things are going on. What do you have new over at the American Driving Society? Oh, yeah, we're, I'm just working on uh, putting our May Whip to press, and we're actually finding it with the on the best for the second half of the year. And I'm just so pleased to have shows back on the calendar all over the U S for Yay. the second half of 2021. So it's really looking up. I was going to ask you about that. Are there any that are hesitating at this point or is everybody just going, Hey, we got vaccines. We're going. No, I think, I think everyone's looking pretty good for it. Pretty positive. All the omnibus entries are filled out and uh, drivers can see it up on our website at American driving Omnibus heading. So there's, there's lots of good stuff happening here. Good. We also have um, a new course of study that I'm super excited about. It's on combined driving course design. 
And what we've actually got is a three-part webinar series. And the first one went off last Friday night. Uh, we've got another one this coming Friday, which is April 2nd. And then the third in the series on April 30th. And Richard Nickel is teaching all of these. For those of you who don't know, he's a world-renowned course designer. He's designed courses for something like five or six world championships in the last two World Equestrian Games. So it's, it's, a, it's a neat series. Um, it's going to be followed by an in-person clinic after the Windsor Trace uh, CDE in November. That's going to be a, like a two-and-a-half-day clinic. It's going to start on Sunday after the show's over and go all day Monday and then for a half-day Tuesday. So as oh, you that'll know, be fun. ABS, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. You know, we don't license course designers, but we're big into education. And so this is an educational opportunity for any ADS member who just is interested, who is a combined driver, or who just wants to learn more about course design. And how would they, uh, how do they find out about, um, like you said, the first one's already gone by, but can they watch the first one on demand and then watch the course? That's a great question. So we're going to have the, all the webinars available on demand on the ADS website after the conclusion of the last webinar on April 30th. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, they can sign up for the next two in our uh, calendar at americansdrivingsociety.org click the calendar link, and then the events are listed there, both for uh, April 2nd and April 30th. And it's $10 to join the webinar. And as soon as your registration is confirmed, you get the Zoom coordinates. So it's pretty easy to, to figure it out. That's great. great. So and so there's three series and then uh, the in-person after Windsor Trace. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really exciting because Richard himself is so excited about course design. That's great. He's got yeah. amazing stories from, you know, this whole career that he's had in the in the field. So he's yeah. got just a ton of, you know, great information plus anecdotal uh, stories to tell, which is really fun. We've interviewed him a few times over the years because of the World Equestrian Games. So, uh, you know, we've chatted with him a couple of times. Talk to us about uh, Windsor Trace CDE and national championships. Oh, yeah. So so our 2020 Nash, uh, North American Championships were canceled. They were due to be held at the Southern Times CDE. So we're so excited that we're going to have them at the Windsor Trace CDE which, of course, is in Windsor, South Carolina. That's in November. It's going to run from the 4th to the 7th. And we're offering both the North American Prelim and Intermediate Championships there. So it's going to be a big event and a lot of fun. I can't wait to go myself. Yay. Well, that's yeah, good that's because everybody's going to have pent-up championship fever at that point. So <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's just going to be so nice to get out and see some horses, you know? And, yeah. and then also, before you go, dressage score sheets are out? Yes. So we heard from our membership that they really wanted to have access to our score sheets. And so we've recently, uh, just last Friday, actually, I put them up on our website. Again, AmericanDrivingSociety.org. You click on uh, dressage tests at the top, and then there is a link for members. You have to log in to see them, but all the dressage score sheets are posted. And, that's and we have nine... It's just the blank Sorry? score sheets. You can see how you're scored at the at different tests. Absolutely. Okay. You can you can download them. Um, members can use them. Member clubs can use them. 
um, ADS-recognized events. We have nine standard tests, which is three for training, three for prelim, and three for intermediate. And then we also have arena trial tests, uh, two for training, two for prelim, two for intermediate, and one for advanced. Very cool. All right, good. Well, you got a lot going on over there. And, of course, the website is super fancy right now. So go over to org and check that out. Thank you, Abby, for joining us once again. Thank you, both. The TCVM segment this time is focusing on one of my most common questions I get from clients. How do I get my horse to eat their herbs? Right? (laughs) They taste yucky. I don't like them. (laughs) I was thinking this is one of the segments that I should have had Jennifer stand in for you because you probably never even give your horse medicine. I do. I, I do the feeding half the time now. What? I know. How about that? I pour it in little buckets and mix it all up. Look at me. So, okay, so since you do feed, do you give any supplements? Yes, we do, yep. So I think one of the biggest things the horse people deal with is like, you know what I can't stand? I can't stand when my expensive supplements are at the bottom of that bucket. And that that, that does happen. <laughs> that <laughs> yes. drive you insane. Um, and so with herbal formulas, they are a little bit pricey and you, you don't give a lot of it, but you want to make sure the horse gets all of it. I right? often wonder about that. So if I'm giving this tiny little scoop every day and I pour it in their feed and I'm wondering, it's powder. Are they getting it all? But then, you know. No. That's, <laughs> that's why I, that's, what, that's what this whole segment is about. <laughs> great question. <laughs> but see, that is the most common thing because you want them to get it all. You know, with horse medicine, it's really expensive because they need so much. You need to make sure they get it all. So, I mean, people do lots of different things. They wet it down or they do whatever. But. Uh, you know, a lot of times, I think this comes up most commonly uh, when your horse has to be on antibiotics for a long period of time. Like, remember, weren't you on doxycycline for weeks yeah, and weeks? We, because oh, of years. Life? Yeah. And think of like how your stomach feels. Oh, was and awful. Your, your mouth stays, it starts Yeast to taste infection. like metal. Yeah, it was right. awful. So um, you're not, if, if someone, if you didn't know you had to take that, you would be like, I'm not eating any of that. And our horses get like that. Like, especially ones that are on pergolide every day, they have to get it every day, but it, they don't want to get it. So, so you need to hide it in something. And I've kind of found that, uh, one of the things I use to get them to eat is, um, there's five different tastes in Chinese medicine that are associated with the elements. Okay. And those tastes are how we classify the herbal formulas. So, and the tastes correspond to the chemical compounds in the medicine or food. So, for example, fire element, the taste associated with it is bitter. And those, uh, that bitter taste is associated with anti-inflammatory properties. So, to put that in context for Western medicine, our non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like aspirin or bute or... Um, Banamine, those are non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. And the most common one, like aspirin, you'll know of, like everybody's tasted aspirin and it tastes bad, Terrible, right? It's yeah. bitter. Then the earth is associated with sweet and that's carbs. So we all know about that. Metal is pungent and that's from the essential oils in the food. An example of pungent is mint or like hot chili peppers. And, you know, it's like it opens your blood vessels and makes you sweat or makes you opens your airways. 
And then water is associated with the salty taste. And salt, you know, you think, oh, just salt is inert. No, but salt is a diuretic and also like helps you with dehydration. Mm -hmm. Like think of what what life was like before uh, Gatorade. Mm -hmm. And then um, the wood taste is astringent and that's associated with the property of antioxidants. And it's from fruit acids, right? So something like citrus, like lemon or vinegar. So those are your five tastes. So lots of people are like, why does Chinese food taste so good? It tastes so good because Chinese recipes try to use all five flavors in each dish, right? So like beef and broccoli, it's bitter greens, like sweet meat. Then you have your ginger and garlic that's pungent. Then you have the salty soy sauce. And then usually there's the little tangy vinegar. And then it's all over like sweet rice or noodles, right? So that's why it's so yummy. You can't get enough of it. So if we try to add some of these other tastes to our medicine, you can kind of balance that out. Another good example of food therapy taste is like a hot toddy. You ever drink a hot toddy? My mom used to talk about hot toddies, but I have no idea what they even are. Okay, a hot toddy. Okay, is is when you drink. You hear about that from grandmas, right? Right. Hot toddies are great. So it's um, lemon, right? So that's antioxidant. It's ginger, which is pungent. Um, It is sweet because it has honey in it, and then it's a little bitter because it has uh, whiskey in it. So it has all these tastes. So it's anti-inflammatory. It opens your airways. It is antioxidant and um, it tonifies your chi because you're sick. I just assumed they always wanted to get to the whiskey and that's what did all the work. Well, the whiskey does help. <laughs> but you can do the, if you want to leave out the whiskey, you can. But, um, but now, most of the, Before you go, go on, I have to say that uh, the other day on the show, Jamie was talking about old fashions, and now you're talking about hot toddies. It's like, oh my God, it's old people week here on uh, Horses in the Morning. But old fashions are. That's why it's so good, because it's like sweet and tangy and salty and, you know, <laughs> it makes you go, ooh. <laughs> So like most herbs, you're going to feed your horse that they don't want to eat or bitter, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, like what's the most common thing? You like mix it in water and then you soak some alfalfa cubes and you dump a whole bunch of molasses in there and hope it, right? you know, they don't taste it. Right. But molasses is sweet and salty, you know, so that's how it can hide it because what you, if you balance out the five tastes, you can hide that bitter taste, but you know, most of our horses that are, we really try have to try to limit carbs with most of our horses, right? Because we know that a low carb diet is best. So I've come up with a couple low carb options to help your horses eat their herbs. Um, I usually, uh, if I'm feeding my horse any kind of oil, uh, like like for ex- example, Dante has EPM. So he gets vitamin E oil every day and I put his herbs in the oil. So that makes this oily paste, or you can use like chia seeds. If you're giving chia seeds for, for, um, omega three fatty acids. And if you soak chia in water, the chia seeds in water, it, uh, it turns into a gel and you can mix the herbs in that gel. So the first things first, if you mix it into some kind of viscous thing, you won't lose as much of the powder. 
And then one of my favorite ways to give herbs, I don't like to mix it with their food because a lot of times they think you're hiding their medicine in there or whatever, and they're not going to eat it. So I try to put it in some little one bite thing that I can shove in their mouth, just like you do with your dog, right? Mm -hmm. You hide stuff in cheese, but horses don't like cheese. So I like to use lettuce cups. I've been doing a lot of lettuce cups. Really? Yeah, it works great because they love lettuce. But also I feed them a lot of lettuce and kale and like leafy vegetables as treats. Hmm. So so they're used to it. So they think, oh, my treat. They, so then when I go to hide food, hide medicine in it, they don't think, oh, yuck, that's medicine. Um, another great thing is kale wraps. And I use the big leaf kale. And kale is so easy to grow. You could just have like a muck, an old muck tub at your barn and stick some kale seeds in there. And in like 60 days, you'll have this great big kale plant. And then you can just take the outside leaves off and it starts growing up bigger and bigger, like great big flower. And you have all these kale things. You don't have to go to Whole Foods and buy expensive kale for your kale wraps. So do you mean I could give them to the horses and I wouldn't have to eat it then? Yeah. Oh, good. You yeah, could take it out so that Jennifer doesn't <laughs> see you not eating it. <laughs> I like another, that idea. <laughs> another thing you can do, um, if you do want to put it in a mash, right, is you could do like an alfalfa or a, a bran mash, but do it like a small amount, and you can mix in different spices, like like the fall spices, like cinnamon, nutmeg, star anise, and maybe a little honey, and mix it into a small amount to hide the medicine and give that to them first before they have their big dinner, you know, so you know, they've eaten it. Right. You can even kind of smush it into like a little uh, ball or a little cupcake and give it to them. Jennifer, when we, we soak, uh, like she's either using bran or, or we mm-hmm. alfalfa cubes for the pony or whatever, and we soak first so that when we mix everything else in, it kind of gets sticky and doesn't get lost. Yeah. It's not dry. And that's, yeah. yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes if you're boarding or you're traveling yeah, or whatever, true. like... They're not going to do that maybe, for you. Yeah, yeah you're not, maybe they're not going to do that for you. So, like, especially um, these little balls of alfalfa, or bran, you can mix those up ahead of time. Mm. And if you have a refrigerator at the barn, you can just put it in the refrigerator and then they can just take one of the balls out. That's a good idea. And give it as a treat. That's a good idea. And then one of my new favorite ways of hiding things is to, um, because I have this big cucumber bed. I have a big garden with lots of cucumbers out there. And cucumbers are great for um, horses because they're very cold. And most of our horses have like heat issues, especially in Florida. So you just take a cucumber and you cut it in half and then I take the seeds out and then I put my medicine inside the middle. Like a, I make it like a little boat oh, and then really? I close the boat. Yeah. And they love it. Huh. And by the time they're eating this cucumber, they get to the middle and they're like, you know, eating the herbs. It's too late to spit it out. <laughs> you tricked me. <laughs> I love that idea. I never I give know. my horses cucumbers either. That never done that. Horses love cucumbers. It's that's one of the number one things I recommend for non-sweating horses because it's so cold. It's a super cold herb. So I love cucumbers, cucumbers personally. I mean, I think they're yeah, great. yeah, and and it's a great way to. Um, it's a great vegetable to give them because it's very low in carbs and it's also super cheap to grow. 
you know, or even cheap to buy. But you can also get do cucumbers in their water. I've talked about that before in the summertime, do cucumber mm-hmm. water. And I'm telling you, like, cucumber water saved me when I went through menopause. Okay, <laughs> so any of you women going through menopause, make big things of cucumber water because it will save your life. There you go. Very good. Uh, anything else? Nope, that's it. And right. um, you, I have some pictures of my lettuce wraps and some more information on the blog at drwendyying.com. Cadwell from Tremont Farms in beautiful, sunny Southern Pines, North Carolina, joins us for her Tremont training session. So welcome, Katie. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. Well, I'm so excited to hear about your next installation of this, uh, of your pear series. Right. We're going to talk about pears and teams. And you know, now the Flowers are coming out. Our grass is turning green. There's sunshine. So what do we all want to do? We want to get out and drive. Right. Especially in North Carolina right now, this is the most beautiful time in Southern Pines. I know it's like we get spring ahead of everybody. Yeah. And everything's in bloom. So if you're not allergic to pollen, it's a great time to be in Southern Pines. (laughs) Oh, yes, we have pine pollen. <laughs> so we got we did some basics on the pears last time. Uh, I think one of the things that is a, is kind of different, that's like non-intuitive when you're going from singles or riding to pears is about turning the pear. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So there are two things here we'll discuss. We'll discuss how to turn the pair and bend them. It's not as easy as pull right to go right and left to go left. And then what do we do when we have one horse that wants to go more forward than the other? You have one lazy one and one forward one because all this is really tied together. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we'll do the lazy and the forward horse because once we get this part settled, then we can get into the bending. So I'm a firm believer in always using your reins at a neutral setting. Don't change your reins or the rein settings because you have one horse that's more willing to go than the other, Mm -hmm. because that just doesn't help. That actually makes it go a little bit backwards. Mm -hmm. So you want to just try to push the the lazy horse a little more forward and then work on balancing them together. Like you need to be able to feel four pieces of the mouth, the left and the right on each horse. So it sounds complicated, but once you start trotting down the road and learning how to feel this, it isn't actually that complicated. Yeah, because if you have one that, like, wants to go more, I mean, it's just the nature of horses, right? One is like, okay, you can go first. Like, even if you even don't drive, but if you just even trail ride, you always have one horse. He wants to be in the front so bad. And one horse is like, fine, go in the front. (laughs) And think about it too. You know, we all have off days, you know, maybe normally uh, Glenn will run much faster than you when you guys run your five miles together. 
But one day he's going to feel really tired and he's going to want to, you know, like hang back that day. So you can be the leader. Oh, yeah. You and I, you know us really well. (laughs) Wendy and I running a 5K together. Nobody's ever going to finish in 10 years. We'll be out there. (laughs) We'll be stopped at the bar about half a mile in. What are you? Yeah. Yeah. When I first started driving pair, I kept wanting to like pull back on the one that was strong. Like I kept wanting to shorten his reins and that just made him pull me more. All you're doing then is pulling him out of draft and using your hand and essentially as the trace. So he just pulls against you. So that's not going to work. You're going to have to push the lazy horse forward and then balance the, not so you're racing down the road, but then balance the other horse. Mm-hmm. So that you can, they can start to work together because they will learn to work together. They're herd animals and they will tend to start mirroring each other. So mm-hmm. you'll get them so they find the same stride, they find the same rhythm. But when you first put them together, of course, there's going to be a little bit of confusion. Yeah. And right? How, it's something new for them. And that was a good thing. That you, like, how can you check that they really are? You know, like how you said, I was just pulling, they were just pulling with my hands. So how would I check if I'm, if they're just in my hands or they're really doing, or they're really pulling? The traces. So we need to have the horses pulling the carriage by the traces. Mm -hmm. And then we know that you're not, they aren't, when you think, oh my God, my horse is pulling on me. The first thing you want to look at is, are my traces taut? Or am I letting the horse pull from their mouth? Mm -hmm. Which can't be comfortable for them. Right. So really, they need to move up into the traces, which then segues us right into how we corner and turn. Okay. So how do we do that? So the corners and the the corners and the turns are the same thing. We need to be really aware of where our traces are. And the big thing with a pair, the one of the easiest things to do is to pull your inside horse out of draft. Mm-hmm. So then you shorten your inside horse up so much, he comes back to the carriage and then the outside horse has to pull the carriage around, but it stops the inside wheel. And then we get no bending, we get uncomfortable horses. So what we really need to do is push the inside horse forward through the turn. I'll say it again, push the inside horse forward through the turn. You almost want to think about letting that inside horse lead the turn a little bit. And then all of a sudden you'll find that your bending's coming and you're not pulling your horses out of the traces. Yeah. So like your first inclination is, oh, I want to turn left. So I'm going to pull on my left rein, but that can pull your left one, your, the horse on the inside of the curve off balance. And then they're not pulling. And then the right the horse on the outside has to push the whole thing over to make the turn. Right. And exactly. And it sounds complicated, but once you're sitting there, you'll realize it's, um, it's a matter of the physics and the geometry of the situation that you have two horses pulling the carriage. You want to keep them both pulling the carriage, which yeah. means all four traces have to be pulling fairly evenly. It will also alleviate what you feel like is them pulling on your arms. Mm-hmm. Because then they're not pulling the carriage from the mouth. So a lot of it, you know what I think when I go into a turn is it's always about the outside rein. So I touch the outside rein, little touches on the inside to tell them which way I'm going to bend. And then I soften them into the turn. So what I do is set them up and then allow them to make the turn. Yeah, I think that is like 
I think when you taught me that, that was like a real light bulb moment because I want to go left, right? So like say I'm turning left. I want to go left, but I need to balance a little bit, just like with the single. And then I need to like say, Hey, we might, we're um, inside rain. I have to say, Hey, look that way. We're going to go left and then allow. And I think that's the hardest part of like, you can get away with not doing that single, but when you get to pair multiple, if you don't, if you don't have those basics down, it, it all just kind of falls apart. Well, I would say actually you can't get away with a single because that's when you see people <laughs> with horses that fall over or don't stand up for the turn. Because here's the most important takeaway of this entire thing, whether you're driving single, pair, four in hand, your outside rein is your size of your circle and your speed. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, it, you have to think, you have to disconnect your hands, walk and chew gum, and you have to think, I'm putting the bend on with the inside, but I'm not going to keep pulling my inside rein. I'm going to support my outside and allow them mm -hmm. to go around the corner and support them. Because if you just throw away that outside and pull the inside, their head comes to their shoulder, and then what's going to happen? They either fall over or they go the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. True. It's a lot to think about, and it sounds complicated, but it actually isn't. Once you you sit there, it's the same as riding. Ask mm -hmm. any dressage person. They take the inside leg and push up into the outside rein. Yeah. Well, in my pair, my inside horse is my inside leg, and it pushes yeah. up into the outside rein. Yeah. And I think it, it just takes a lot of practice. Like I remember you used to tell me to just do some like warming up, you just have to get your timing and do some like 40 meter squares, like figure eights to practice bending and like all those steps. Because when you're driving, sometimes like when you're learning a new thing, it's hard to remember all the steps. So if you talk yourself through it a couple of times in your warm up, it, then it becomes sure. And then more. add in, add in four reins because you're driving the four in hand and mm -hmm. you can drive yourself crazy. But once you get this pattern of this indicate step release, you mm -hmm. know, that they start to learn that that's the pattern. And when you touch the outside and a little bump on the inside, they start to learn, Oh, we're going this direction. So they're ready for it too. And they get their bodies ready for it. Cause basically what we're doing in true Wendy Ying fashion is setting our horse up so his body can be used properly and then mm -hmm. allowing him to use his body, whether we're driving single pair or four in hand, we, yeah. we all need the same thing or we're riding our horse. And I think what you said that too, like what you said with riding is if you're making that transition from riding to driving, you know, when you first make that transition, even though you're sitting in the carriage, you still use your legs, right? They just go by themselves when yes. you're driving. So yes. I used to always think, or if I'm teaching somebody this, uh, for the first time, I think, okay, every time you want to put inside leg on, that means you need to do something with your outside hand because you yes. already trained your body that way, you know, for Glenn, he, you know, Glenn's going to have to start from the beginning because he doesn't ride. <laughs> That's right. It is a disadvantage, it, actually, that I didn't ride and then picked up driving. Yeah. Yeah. It is, yeah. Because you have a lot, especially if you started riding as a kid, you have these things in your body that you don't even think about. So you have to just kind you of. You do by instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You do it by instinct. And then when you do it by instinct, you need to go back and say, okay, why do I do what I do? I feel like us drivers, we actually do have an advantage over the riders in that I can see what my horse is doing better than a rider can. I can watch Mm -hmm. the hips. I can watch the shoulders. I can see where the hind end is tracking up underneath. Yes, they can, they have a seat and leg to help them, but I also have, uh, the extra added bit of being able to be so focused on it that I can see when the inside leg is stepping up underneath or stepping out to the side, Mm -hmm. where if you're riding them, you may miss that. So there, there are a lot of things too. I know a lot of people that never rode that are fantastic drivers. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, like you said, practice, do the circles, lots of changes of direction, make sure, check down with your traces occasionally, make sure you're not pulling from your horse's mouth. You just like keep changing directions, keep making circles, because in the beginning, you'll only get a quarter of a circle with a proper bend. But then the more you do it, the more it will come longer and longer that you'll be able to start picking it up and getting your horse to come all the way through the turn by using the guidance of your outside rein. And like sometimes you might turn better one way than the other, and you shouldn't get frustrated because it's just practice. Well, we are le- right and left-handed, and so are our horses. Mm-hmm. So, so you oh, have to a, deal with that. So do you, um, Do you while you're training, do you switch them side to side, or do you feel like once they're in their place, they're always on that side? I always feel like with a horse, the more education and the more language we have that with them, the better, which means I drive them in all positions. Mm-hmm. Now, they may have a spot they prefer, They may always, like, I've had ones that, oh, I like to run the marathon on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. But uh, the more we can train them in the different places, the stronger we're going to make them, right? We'll keep them even. We'll keep their uh, backs strong the same way. Them learning to come up underneath themselves on both sides. It just, it's always good to not let them get stuck in one place. Yeah, that's true. Well, Katie, thank then, you so then much. you don't that have was... to pay your chiropractor as much. That's true. That's true. <laughs> thank you so much. This is, I love talking about pairs and multiples. So maybe next month we'll, uh, we'll start talking about the fours and the tandems. Okay. We can do that. And unicorns. We love a unicorn. Oh, unicorns, my favorite. Maybe we should talk about unicorns yes. next month. Okay. We can do that. All right. And where can everybody find you guys? Uh, we are available on Facebook or we have a website, tremontfarm.com. And you also have a cattery now, right? Because you're famous cab breeders. Well, my sister has always been obsessed with Maine Coon cats and she has decided she wants to breed them and has imported a lot of really nice stock from Russia. So I do admit we may have a house full of kittens and they're super cute. <laughs> they are really cute. So it's if anybody's fun to looking... have kittens around, do they have accents, <laughs> Russian accents? Uh, no, but sometimes we do when the uh, girls are being grumpy, we do maybe call them Svetlana and <laughs> other Russian names. <laughs> So you don't just get carriage driving training when you go to Southern Pines. You have little kitties and shaggy puppies. Yeah, you have to pet kittens. Tremont Cattery. <laughs> That's great. All right, thank thanks, Katie. So we'll talk to you next month. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Bye. 
Well, there was a full driving show for you. We appreciate you stopping by, all you carriage drivers out there, and we hope you're enjoying your horses right now. I did take uh, Scooter out a time or two this year, and uh, we've had some fun, and he's been a perfect angel, hasn't bolted <laughs> or anything for me, so it's been good. Have you driven at all lately? Yeah, I've been driving pairs. Have you? But yeah. I, and Dante, like, I can't believe it, but Dante's actually made a miraculous recovery. No, because he's like 85. No, he's not. He's only 20. <laughs> Still. No, he's, tw- he's almost 21. But Dante was to the point where, like, I mean, he was blind. Yeah, he was in rough shape. He was circling. Like, I had to hold him. When the farrier would come, I had to give him a huge shot of banamine and then hold him up, basically, huh. for Patty to do his feet. And he only gets trimmed. And um, I just... I kept saying, okay, well, when I go out and he's down in the pasture, that's the day that I'll know. If he can't get up, I mean, that's the time, right? And I, one day, he just kind of like woke up and he whinnied to me. And I thought, oh, my God. And then the next day, I went and fed the other horses before him. I usually feed him first. And he's very metal. He doesn't like that because I changed the routine. And he was cantering in his pasture and he hadn't done he hadn't done anything but walk aka slash stumble around the paddock huh. and th- i couldn't believe it. it didn't he have epm or something wasn't it something yeah he had, yeah. Yeah, he had epm so do you does that ever go away or did they get relapses in it or what he might relapse i mean he could definitely relapse but they do have and, they can have good times it can disappear for a yeah, little while and then come but back i I think this has been really great for my for my own recommendations and prognosis for other horses because it's so rare that they come back from that point. And I, I just feel really lucky that I have him at home and I have the ability to to wait. You know, he's in a flat paddock with a goat. You know, and it's really funny because I have like pool noodles all over the fence on the paddock because uh-huh. You know, to, as a bumper, he has like essentially oh. a padded paddock. <laughs> you know, but if I if I didn't if I didn't have him at home, I would have had to put him down last year. You know, I mean, he couldn't live like that. Well, that's exciting. I know it was really exciting. So, well, basically, I was like, I might have a forehand again, but, but it might just be walking. <laughs> it, might, it might just be walking because I'm not sure he can actually trot and harness again. But well, I'm excited that you're out and about. That's terrific. Yeah. Yay! Yeah. Abby has to do something. Abby has to do something in his career. Cool. Very good. Well, you can find Wendy at drwendyying.com. You can find all the past episodes of the driving episode here on Horses in the Morning. Just go to drivingradioshow.com. you find all the past episodes we've done for the last 10 years. Uh, and you can find all the past episodes of Horses in the Morning at horsesinthemorning.com. We'll be back tomorrow with some really bad ads and some more fun here on the show with Jamie and I. So tune in then. And auditors, hang on. We're going to just do a quick after show after for you guys. And remember, keep this shiny side up. 
so Wendy, I, uh, we're doing in the after show with the auditors here, and um, you know we're allowed to talk about anything and everything. So it was funny when Jamie the other day was talking about old fashions, and we actually had to look up what was in an old fashioned because she buys the mix. Um, oh, and yeah, I said, I'm not I know exactly there's, sure. I know there's bitters in there, and I've never been able to figure out in my life what a bitter is. I know. Oh, I know what bitters ball, is. They used to be little balls my parents would get to put in the drinks. Yeah, uh, but you know what? Bitters is from a root called the gent- gentian root, and that's a, actually something we use in Chinese medicine. Is that right? And it's just, uh-huh. it's part of the root, and it's just bitter. That's why they got the name bitters, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was the first guy that said, let's put that in our alcoholic beverage? It's probably someone like everything. It all starts in China. And then some Marco Polo went to China and had these bitters, gentian, gentian root. And then he brought it home and then somebody Somebody made, made it, it into little balls and bottled it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny. So what's your, what's your drink of choice other than like beer or anything? Your mixed oh, drink of choice. God. You know what? I had something the other day. I, I feel so lucky. I live at the, this beach town, right? So... Kyle and I went yeah, to this place. Yeah, you have place. more bars per square feet. Than- <laughs> we went to this super cool beach bar, and they had smoked margaritas. What? It was so good. So it was like they put the whole margarita in the smoker. No, oh. I think the tequila was smoked. Oh, okay. I think the tequila was smoked, but it had like I just lime pictured juice. the drinks in the smoker sitting. At the- <laughs> I know, and it had a big chunk of ginger in it. Oh my god, it was so good. <laughs> It was great. You guys are lucky. We were talking a little bit uh, off air about the prices in Ocala. The property values have skyrocketed. It's the same in Sarasota. Oh, yeah. In your neighborhood? It's crazy. Wendy lives in an equestrian neighborhood, too. Yeah, Yeah, I live in an equestrian neighborhood. And and actually, I was super surprised that I didn't know this existed. It was only because my friends Phil and Judy you know, said, Oh, come to Sarasota. I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know you could have, I thought only like Phil and Judy have all these restaurants. They're rich. I thought, you know, well, they can afford Sarasota cause they're like super rich. It is kind of an upper end area of Florida. Yeah. yeah. But, but it was I like our place was pretty affordable, but it's, if you think about it, it's one of the only places in the world where you can have a little five acre farm at and be 20 minutes to like one of the best beaches in the world. Always ranked I mean, one of the best beaches in the world. Look at how close. I mean, we're really close to the beach. And great and restaurants. You have better restaurants awesome. than any other place in Florida. Oh, yeah. We have yeah. super great restaurants. And um, and before, when houses here in the neighborhood would go on the market, because um, there were a lot of, like, turnover from the – you remember in 2008 with all the mortgage crisis things? So there were some rundown houses, but now everything's kind of been flipped. And now if a house goes on the market – it's like on the market for like a couple days and it's gone. There's one in the neighborhood here in Ocala by my, where I live in a question neighborhood too. And it's by my brother who lives on the other side of the question neighborhood. And it's a two story mm-hmm. house, which is rare in Florida anyway. Yeah. But it's a two story house and it's only on two acres, not set up for a farm, just a house. And it sold in one day for 550,000. And she had Are four offers in the first day. That's amazing. The realtors are having to put when they put the ad up they have to put the day it's coming up for sale and they put the ad up early but they have to mark the day and time it's coming up for sale otherwise the offers will come in ahead of time are you kidding me nope (laughs) Nope. it's that crazy right now 
Well, though, well, if anybody's looking for a farm, there's a giant mansion across the street from me with 12 acres and a 20 stall barn. It's a big house, though. It's a really and, big yeah, house. Yeah, it's a mansion. It's a giant mansion. <laughs> but we used to call it the zombie mansion, but it's not the zombie mansion anymore. They've redone it. It's really, really nice. Wow. That's cool. The only problem is the neighbors you? have these super loud geese. They have these super loud geese that go over there and you, walk all over your front lawn. Yeah. They're talking about you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but the, people, the advantage is they have a veterinarian as a neighbor. That's true. But these people put in this fancy schmancy paver driveway. I oh. mean, it's so nice. It's like beautiful. Well, that'd be the nicest place in your neighborhood then. Yeah. And yeah. they're, and they're starting to put in like all the landscaping and, my goat, my geese and chickens have been over there like nonstop. <laughs> and I'm like, geese, please don't they poop got on your, the They got your Green Acres farm across the street. I know. I'm going to have to come over there with, the, with, with your the power goats wash, and your, your horses. Wash freaking pavers. <laughs> <sighs> and your geese and your ducks. <laughs> oh, and I have some guineas too. They're so loud. Oh, guineas are the worst. Like about <laughs> although about geese can be bad time. too. You know about what's worse? Time, peacocks are screaming. loud. Peacocks are oh, loud. Yeah. Oh my god, peacocks are loud. I want peacocks, but Kyle won't let me have peacocks. Oh, between the geese and the peacocks, you you no, you'd be kicked out of the neighborhood. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, for that's, sure. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Yeah, so I think other parts of the country, from what I'm seeing, are the same way too. It's just nuts. You know, there have been. Um, they're, they're, you know, it's weird, the stuff that has just went crazy during COVID. Carriage companies can't keep carriages in right now. Really? Oh, they can't. You can't get. You, you're a back order. Uh, campers are that. back ordered for a year to two years now. Campers? Uh, campers. I can see that because yeah. you can't fly. Yeah. Campers are back ordered. Cars are they're having trouble with, but that's mostly a supply chain issue. You know, there's certain parts that they can't get or whatever. Yeah. You pick up trucks. You can't find a you can't find a Ford F two fifty right now. Can um, I tell you some super cool story yeah. about my car? What which car? I feel like I've won the lottery. My Kia. My Kia Soul. Oh, oh your little Kia Soul. Oh, that's right. He, she had Remember a Kia, Kia Soul. Soul. Yeah, Benny had a Kia Soul, which is the reason I bought a Kia Soul. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right, because didn't you love that car? I did. So I still great. love it. It's so much fun to drive, and it's so zippy. <laughs> it's so zippy. It feels like you're driving a go-kart. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, so Especially after driving bought, the diesel truck. <laughs> I know. As I bought this Kia Soul in 2014, and I've driven it for, you know, all the time for work, and I go all over the place. And I had 175,000 really? miles on. Wow. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was going to one of my clinics, one of my shot clinics on the weekend, and it broke down on the side of the road. It, like, it just died. <laughs> and I broke down in this horrible place. It was, like, right on 75, but it was, like, this strip of, like, oh no God. man's land. It's, like, the perfect place to dump a body, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh, God. So luckily, Karen Abatista came and picked me up, but we had the Kia towed down to the Kia place. And then they put a new alternator on it, charged me a ton of money. And then four days later, it broke down again, like just died. So I towed it back in and they said, oh, you need a new engine. And they gave me a bill for well, can I guess? 13. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to guess 1500. 100? Oh, it's not 100. For a new engine? Oh, a brand new engine. Oh, I thought they were going to steal one out of an old car. Um, you can't find them. Uh, 5,000? 
No, it was thirteen thousand. I was like, "This you can buy a brand new one for thirteen thousand. No, that's what I think they were doing. But I had got this thing on email that said that these Kias are the twenty fourteen through twenty sixteen was they have something wrong with the engine and they might light on fire. What and the recall on them? Yeah. So I said, "Look, I think my Kia." It's under this recall. They're like, no, it's not your and it's not yours. It's not yours. So we ended up buying another car. We got a, a Subaru Outback, which I love. Um, but it's kind of long compared to the Kia. But they were gonna give me a hundred dollars for the trade-in. A <laughs> hundred dollars. So I was like, screw that. So we towed it home and put it in the barn. And I'm like, okay, and Kyle was gonna put like he was gonna try to find a used engine. But you can't find, it's like what you're saying with the cars. You can't find a, anything, no, right? Right, yep. So then I get a letter in the mail with my VIN number on it saying that that Kia has the engine recall on it. So I like went down to the dealership <laughs> and I showed them this letter. And they were like, well, okay. So I had to tow it back in there. So now this poor tow truck guy has towed me down into the <laughs> Kia place like four times. Sorry, he's making money every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But my insurance paid for it, so it was like, so that was great. So it's it's been down there, and they did so some tests. So what are they going to do? They called us the other day and said Kia's going to put a new engine in it. What? I know, I know. Under so the recall, I went and bought a bought a lottery ticket. No, that's on that costing them a fortune. If times that by a hundred thousand cars, that's costing a fortune, huh? Yeah, but if they don't know what the problem is, like, I mean, I wonder if know. mine is. I think is a twenty sixteen. So well, you should go on the Kia website. You can send your VIN number and check it. I don't remember what year it is. I have to check that because uh, you're right. I should check that because they'll do run a test, and if you're if you're if it doesn't pass the test, they'll either fix it or put a new engine in it. I don't want to catch on fire. No, you don't want to catch on fire. (laughs) But now I have this awesome little Kia for another like hundred seventy five thousand miles. Jeez. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't believe it either. But you know what's really interesting too? The engine. You guys they had haven't had a... two cars in forever. I know. We have a little carbon footprint. <laughs> I used to have a huge carbon footprint with the dual dual aid. Now I have this little but um they they sent it from Korea, right? It came from the engines coming from Korea. And it they had to delay it because of that big huge boat that's stuck in the Suez Canal. Oh really? <laughs> Yeah, so now they gave me another car to drive while we're waiting because they said it's stuck behind the boat. But luckily, they freed the boat in the Suez Canal the, today. It's like you won a little lottery. I know. That's why I said we went and we bought, <laughs> we bought Powerball tickets the day we found out because I thought, oh, my God, we're so lucky. That shit never happens to me. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so happy for you. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And it, hers was a cool color, too. It was a darker green. Uh, color. It's, it's called kale. Yeah, yours was a cool color. I like that. And one. it has the um the leather seats that are heated and air conditioned. You don't really need to heat it a lot in Florida, but <laughs> air conditioned. Well, there been a couple days. <laughs> it even has a heated steering wheel. I do love the little car, and actually, it's funny because we put we put the back seat down and we take the dog in it, and you know she's a tall, and it's huge. She's and it's big enough for the ground. And she yeah. actually likes that. I think better than the back of the truck. We put one of those hammocks in the back seat of the truck so she wouldn't fall off. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Yeah. And uh, she likes that too. But I think she likes the car. She can sprawl out in there. But yeah, I love the little Kia. All right, we got to go. You know, We're boring people to death. Wait, can I just give you one little yeah. tip? Yeah. You should get some yoga mats 
And when you put the thing down, put the yoga mat down for her. We always put a pad down. Oh, doctor. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. She, we want it to be cut. She has more beds than we do. <laughs> All right. Bye, Wendy. Bye.